Welcome to our weekly classified Grayman Intelligence audio brief. Over the next few minutes, Wesley from Super SE is going to share with you the most important survival intelligence stories that have occurred over the past week from the Grayman briefing. This timely and concise reporting will help you to stay sharp and be well ahead of the knowledge curve so that you can be better prepared for what's coming down the road. All right, Wes, take it away. All right. Thanks, David. So we'll get right into the brief. From the Gray Man Briefing, this is a weekly recap of news and developments for your situational awareness, as always, with the bottom line up front. Okay, let's get started with the supply chain briefing. We'll then shift into our infrastructure briefing. Keep in mind there will be some overlap into our government oversight coverage that we'll do later. So for now, let's start in the state of Montana where the federal government is seizing ranch and farmlands to convert it to nature preserves. So some context here, in 2022, the Bureau of Land Management, BLM, they issued a rule that prioritizes non-production conservation herds such as bison over livestock production. Basically, things that provide to the, the food supply chain are not prioritized anymore. The Attorney General filed a lawsuit, the Attorney General of Montana, I should say, filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration saying that the BLM has bent over backwards to circumvent the law and approve APR, APR is the American Prairie Reserve, to approve APR's plan to turn hundreds of thousands of acres of productive ranch land into a nature preserve for the wealthy. The Department of Agriculture in Montana they said that BLM is taking possession of large chunks of lands and removing it from production agriculture. The United Property Owners of Montana also noted that free-roaming bison, they may infect surrounding livestock, which could impact cattle on non-preserved lands. So even though this, what is it, 460,000 acres that the government is seizing, it's not just going to affect the, the livestock that was going to be on those acres. It's also possibly going to infect livestock in the surrounding area. So we'll see what sort of impact this has on our food supply chain. Earlier in the month, we saw a refinery outage. It immediately began to impact gasoline prices across Oklahoma, Missouri, South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska, Minnesota, and Kansas. Hopefully, it looks like they're saying the prices will stabilize by October and kind of equalize with the way it is across the nation. But for right now, if you're in those states, you are or will see a price increase in your gasoline pretty soon. Moving over to Alaska, President Biden announced that he is, quote, canceling all remaining oil and gas leases issued under the last administration in the Arctic Refuge and proposing to protect 13 million acres in the Western Arctic. So this includes seven oil and gas leases in that Alaska's Arctic National Wild Wildlife Refuge. Trump had previously approved a 10-year oil and gas lease in the region covering about 430,000 acres. And then we look back at how, how critical this region is, and according to a USGS assessment, it found that the total amount of recoverable oil in that region was estimated between 5.7 and 16 billion barrels. So on average, you're going to look at at least 10.4 billion barrels that could be recovered there that no longer will be allowed to be recovered. That equates to about 2.4 years worth of all the oil in the U.S. combined could have been retrieved from that area. 
And at the recording of this podcast today, the automobile industry is seeing a lot of strikes across the nation, specifically in Michigan, Ohio, and Missouri. This is the United Auto Workers calling their union calling for a strike, wanting higher pay. Looks like Canada is joining in this week to also strike in their automobile industry. According to experts, a 10-day work stoppage could cost an economic loss of $5.6 billion. And now we're going to shift over to our infrastructure briefing, starting with a major incident in Nebraska. The Union Pacific Railroad Bailey Rail Yard had an explosion that released toxins and chemicals, leading to a four-mile evacuation order. This came just a few days after the Federal Rail Administration, the FRA, did an inspection there at the rail yard and found that 72% of all their locomotives, as well as 20% of their rail cars, all had violations regarding safety and, and other issues. However, the inspector who found those violations was then fired by the FRA. Moving on, Starlink, which is the SpaceX satellite internet service provider, They experienced what appeared to be an international outage on September 12th. Broadcom's Threat Hunter team, they reported that Redfly, which is an APT41-linked Chinese hacker organization, reached the electrical grid of what is believed to be India, but we know it's an Asian country. Redfly maintained access to that power grid from February to July of this year. It was just now being publicly revealed and the group did have it appeared did have the ability to disrupt the power grid however they either chose not to do it maybe they were waiting for a later time but at this point it looks like that threat has been resolved one that hasn't been resolved is the one in the u.s in 2022 the chinese communist party or at least hackers linked to them um, associated with volt typhoon breached the u.s information systems and these are the ones that control both our power and water utilities. This was the one that was made public back in May of this year. The Chinese link group continues to retain malware in our systems. According to authorities, the embedded code is within our networks controlling power grids, communication systems, and water supplies. And specifically, those infrastructure systems based near or interconnected with the U.S. military. In a recent House Energy Commerce Subcommittee Oversight Investigations hearing, the North American Electric Reliability Corp. warned that, quote, Chinese cyber activities are one of the most dynamic cyber threats. China continues to demonstrate increasing sophistication, including new and adaptive techniques to gain access to networks. Keep in mind, this malware is still in our systems to date and could be executed at any moment. Authorities said that it's, quote, a ticking time bomb. Moving on, the roadway infrastructure in the U.S. continues to degrade. A 2021 infrastructure report card found that 43% of U.S. roads are in, quote, poor or mediocre condition. Another kind of throw in the loop to this is electric vehicles. So EVs, they weigh on average 27 to 45% more than gasoline vehicles. Lawmakers claim that this is, quote, potentially disastrous implications of widespread EV adoption for the country's transportation infrastructure. So they're saying that added weight is going to degrade our roadways at a faster pace. And the U.S. House has passed H.R. 1435. This is the Preserving Choice in Vehicle Purchases Act. Its its attempt is to limit or halt any sort of ban or decentification of gasoline-powered vehicles. 
specifically the ones that California is doing. If this bill passes, it will restrict the EPA from issuing waivers to enforce measures that would stop people from buying gasoline vehicles and encourage them to only purchase EV vehicles. So it's a way to protect gasoline vehicles. And the House has passed it. It's going to move to the Senate now. And now we're going to move into our censorship briefing. We'll also touch on First Amendment violations and updates, as well as privacy concerns, starting with commercial oversight and the new Google attributes. So Google is attempting to identify which business owners are pro-LGBT, Black, Latino, or Asian, or supportive to the COVID-19 agenda. So business owners have started to get emails from Google asking them to update their identity attributes or their crowd and highlight attributes. So some of the options for a highlight or crowd attribute is LGBTQ plus friendly, um, or if it's a COVID-19 testing site, if it's veteran owned, Asian owned, LGBT, black, woman owned, um, various races, there are no options to choose family friendly location or any other race other than the major diverse ones that they've listed on there. There's also no option to choose religious affiliations or if you're a disabled uh, person um, or if you're a male. So the options are just those kind of hot button mainstream issues. A lot of people refer to this as, as a means to sort of introduce social credit or to censor those who don't align with certain agendas. So in the debrief, the gray man briefing kind of goes into this, what this actually could be used for. But just consider the fact, you know, if you choose a certain option, such as your LGBT friendly, consider the implications if you don't have that selection for your business. If you go on Google and you search for a business, whether it be John's Barbecue Shack, these options will show up as kind of little emojis with a descriptor beside them underneath the Google search result, there's the possibility that Google could censor or lessen the likelihood that someone would find a certain business if they don't have these certain tags on their business. So it's just a way to promote a certain business over another business. All right, let's shift over to an incident that happened in Colorado Springs. In August, a 12-year-old was removed from class after he displayed a morale patch on his backpack of the Gadsden flag. The school told him it violated their drugs, tobacco, and alcohol weapons policy, and he was removed from school. The governor actually came out in support of the student and said the Gadsden flag was a proud symbol of the American Revolution. The Harrison School District defended the school's admin for uh, removing the student, but then the Vanguard School Board of Directors, that's the, the school itself, um, called an emergency meeting and kind of overruled that the administration and allowed the child to come back to school. The briefing looked at a couple of incidences in the past. Looks like over 300 children have been removed from classes or school for wearing what they refer to as pro-America, religious, or Trump attire. And only four instances were found where children were removed from class for wearing either like Black Lives Matter, Antifa, or far left attire. So there's kind of a disconnect there. Certain kids are removed from school for wearing certain clothing while others are not. Moving on in Atlanta, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium has deployed a drone dog. This is one of those dogs uh, made in cooperation with Boston Dynamics and I believe it's Asalon Robotics. The dog has facial recognition technology and it's there to routinely monitor event goers. Tech like this is being introduced across a lot of stadiums. City Field, Rose Bowl, First Energy Stadium, Sun Devil, Hard Rock Stadium, all these and more 
now have facial recognition, uh, mostly for event goers, but they also have it for the players as well. Music artists have begun boycotting these stadiums. They say that it's violation of privacy, and there's also misidentification errors, particularly among what they quote as non-white faces. The facial recognition has trouble recognizing dark skin, black skin, brown skin, whatever you want to call it, um, and sometimes it has errors. Separately, Elon Musk has suggested that the ADL, that's the Anti-Defamation League, has pressured Twitter, or X, to censor accounts, specifically that of libs of TikTok. Uh, moving on, the Center for Countering Digital Hate, this is a UK-based lobbying firm. They claim that the Dirty Dozen, this is a group of political and online personalities, including presidential candidate RFK, they say that these 12 people were responsible for 65% of the shares of anti-vaccine misinformation on social media. The White House echoed those statistics and used it to pressure social media and were able to actually remove 11 of those 12 accounts via having them suspended or having their accounts deleted. Connected to that, on September 8th, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the Biden administration, quote, coerced social media platforms into censoring certain social media content in violation of the First Amendment, end quote. So this was a lawsuit filed by Missouri, Louisiana, and specific individuals that claimed that, quote, the White House, the CDC, the FBI, and a few other agencies urged the platforms to remove disfavored content and accounts from their sites, and the platforms seemingly complied. They gave the officials access to an expedited reporting system, downgraded or removed flagged posts, and deplatformed users. The platforms also changed their internal policies to capture more flagged content and sent steady reports on their moderation activities to those officials. So, the court found that the White House, the Surgeon General, CDC, and the FBI, quote, likely significantly encouraged the platform's moderation decisions, meaning they violated the First Amendment, end quote, according to the court. Moving on, Republican presidential candidate Ram Swamy called for children under the age of 15 or 16 to be banned from accessing social media, claiming that the accounts or social media outlets are addictive. Also of note, you may find this helpful, Firefox, which is that web browser, they introduced an email masking feature, which they say will help reduce tracking and spam for its users. The masking works by generating email masks that function like a primary email address but are not directly connected to the user's primary or their other email accounts. YouTube, along with other social media outlets, worked to censor content that countered U.S. government narratives regarding the origins of the Maui, quote, wildfires, end quote. Microsoft and fact-checkers claimed that the Chinese Communist Party conducted a psychological operation to, quote, sow discord and distrust using 85 social media accounts to share theories on how the fire originated, um, as well as some of those accounts said that it originated from the U.S. government itself or from the energy sector there in Hawaii. YouTube did confirm, saying, quote, During major news events such as the horrific fires in Hawaii, our systems are designed to raise up content from authoritative sources in search results and recommendations. Moving on, the Threads app, this is that uh, Meta or Instagram linked social media outlet, kind of supposed to be a Twitter rival. It's now blocking users from searching for pages, whether it be people or accounts, on posts related to COVID-19. So if you go to Threads and search for COVID-19, coronavirus, or vaccines, 
it generates zero results. Eventbrite, this is the online ticketing and event scheduling service, it's removed a quote, save our kids event from their service, citing its policy against hateful, dangerous, and violent content. So save our kids is an event where the speaker talks about the negative impact of far-left gender ide ideologies and the propaganda being delivered in schools to children. So Eventbrite determined that to be dangerous or violent or hateful and removed it. Okay, shifting gears, we're going to move into our COVID-19 and health and safety briefing. Again, this will have a little bit of overlap with government oversight. There's a lot to these COVID briefings, particularly, and there's more analysis on the actual intel and news service by Grayman Briefing. If you want to read more into this, if you want to see their sources, go to www.graymanbriefing.com. That's Grayman with an A, and you can you can get a little bit more. We're just going to give you the bluff, the bottom line up front. Let's start out with this one. The CDC's principal deputy director told the New York Times that children, these are those over the age of six months old, should also get a COVID-19 vaccine. NYT reported that the director's recommendations were the following. This is quote, even though their own COVID risk is very low, we should be thinking bigger than just ourselves. Do you want to see your grandpa? Do you want to hang out with your grandma? Are you really sure you're not going to give them COVID? So this is the deputy director of the CDC continuing to share false information that getting the COVID shot, even a six month old getting the COVID shot can prevent that six month old from giving someone else the virus. So this is still occurring. Moving on, the U.S. National Institute of Health and the Environmental Safety published a new study in the Genbook National University. It found that prolonged wear of disposable medical-grade masks released, quote, eight times the recommended safe limit of toxic volatile organic compounds, or TVOCs. It also found that cloth masks released 14 times less of those compounds, meaning the cloth masks were safer as it relates to TVOCs. Not that either one protects from such viruses as COVID-19, but this was published in NIH's actual website. A study that the Department of Defense contracted with Humatrix Cloud Services analyzed COVID-19 vaccine data among 20 million Medicare beneficiaries, including 5 million or 5.6 million senior citizens. It found that among those 20 million citizens who contracted COVID-19 from January to July of 2021, 73% had already been vaccinated against COVID-19. And additionally, 63% of those that were hospitalized were also vaccinated. An elementary school in Maryland distributed N95 masks to students and staff and began a 10-day mask mandate requiring children's teachers in certain classes to wear masks at all times except when eating or drinking. The FDA approved a new vaccine by Pfizer. It's the Abrisfio RSV vaccine. It was approved for pregnant women in their third trimester. The claimed intent was for the shot to provide maternal antibodies that travel through the placenta and is expected to prevent severe respiratory illnesses in infants up to six months. And as you've probably already heard, the new COVID-19 uh, booster or vaccine was approved and recommended by both the FDA and CDC. They have rebranded it now as an annual COVID-19 vaccine as they're attempting to shift away from the terms primary series or booster. The new shot will be manufactured by Pfizer, Moderna, and Novavax once it gets a approval. All three shots are designated to target the XBB.1.5 Omicron variant, which currently, according to the CDC, only accounts for 12% of cases. 
According to the CDC's and FDA's own data, it appears that this new vaccine that's coming out this month will be will be effective at a 3.9% rate. So more than 90% of the people who get this vaccine will see no benefit from it if you look at their data. And of course, that's cited on the website or on the Gray Man Briefing. The Select Committee on the Coronavirus Pandemic and the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence have received whistleblower reports concerning corruption within the, within the Central Intelligence Agency as it relates to the investigation into the origins of COVID-19. The whistleblower, who is a multi-decade senior level current CIA officer, is, according to the committee, credible. The whistleblower alleged that six of the seven investigators found that intelligence and science were sufficient to make a low-confidence assessment that COVID-19 originated from a laboratory in Wuhan. So six of the seven investigators said it could have possibly come from the, the Wuhan laboratory. According to the whistleblower, the CIA then bribed those six investigators so that they would uh, change their opinion and public a report, quote, no determination was made. And of course, all six of them were given that payment and all six of them changed their opinion and wrote that the CIA was able to make no determination on the origin of COVID-19. In California, a study that analyzed COVID-19 cases at 33 state prisons from January to July of this year, 2023, found that inmates who received a COVID-19 booster were more likely to contract COVID-19. The study reviewed 96,000 inmates, of which 2,800 during that six-month period tested positive for COVID-19. 1,100 had received the vaccine, 1,000 had received the primary series vaccine, and 568 were unvaccinated. So out of the 96,000, uh, only 568 tested positive for COVID-19 while being unvaccinated. The vast majority that tested positive were vaccinated, which equates for about 80% of those who tested positive being vaccinated. Okay, that's it for COVID-19, health and safety. I'm gonna take a quick breather, and in just a moment, we're gonna jump into our Second Amendment briefing. Now, before we get into the rest of this podcast, I want to invite you to go check out the mothership for this podcast, ultimatesurvivaltips.com. While you're there, join our weekly survival emag for survival and preparedness tips, news, exclusive behind-the-scenes updates, subscriber-only discounts, and chances to win gear like the survival knife that blew up Kickstarter, our very own MSK-1 multi-scenario knife, which is now available in four models to fit any budget. So here's the deal. When you engage with us over at ultimatesurvivaltips.com, share this podcast, or buy any of our product innovations, you're partnering with us to accomplish our mission to help everyone everywhere gain the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear knowledge they need to survive any emergency, crisis, or disaster in a positive and productive way. Thank you all for your continued encouragement and support. Now let's get back into today's podcast. Okay, let's get back at it. With our Second Amendment briefing, let's start in Nebraska. A permitless carry bill has gone into effect. Carrying open and concealed firearms will be allowed without obtaining a permit. Omaha then responded by banning firearms in the city in kind of those sensitive location areas. For example, the mayor made it illegal to have firearms anywhere in the city that is owned or leased by the city. So if there is a specific building that the city leases to a private organization or company, yeah, firearms are banned there. They're also banned on trails, in public spaces, sidewalks, libraries, parks. That's Nebraska. 
And let's look at New Mexico, because I think this is the major Second Amendment news for at least the month of September. The governor, on September 8th, issued an emergency public health order banning the open and concealed carrying of firearms within cities or counties averaging a thousand or more violent crimes per 100k residents since the year 2021. So this made it illegal to open or conceal carry in Albuquerque or the surrounding county of Bernalillo. And it took effect immediately. There was no time period between when she issued the order and when it was to be enforced. When it came out, it's supposed to be for 30 days. Uh, violators could be charged with a misdemeanor. Of course, law enforcement pushed back against it. They didn't outright completely say, this is awful, we'll never enforce this, but both Albuquerque Police Department and the Sheriff's Office said they will not enforce it. The Sheriff said, quote, I have reservations regarding this order. While I understand and appreciate the urgency, the temporary ban challenges the foundation of our Constitution, which I swore an oath to uphold. I'm wary of placing my deputies in positions that could lead to civil liability conflicts, as well as the potential risk posed by prohibiting law-abiding citizens from their constitutional rights to self-defense. So law enforcement area were at least outright against it. I would love to have seen, you know, harsher words towards the governor, but I guess they're still working with and under her. But both agencies were against this order. And within just, I don't know, 24 hours or so, multiple lawsuits were filed and she ended up reneging on it partially. She narrowed it down to just banning guns in playgrounds and parks. It's also been blocked, so it's not even in effect until October when the case can be reviewed. But the people definitely protested against this. There was hundreds, if not thousands, that showed up the next day. I think it was the next day. They're in Albuquerque, and they were fully armed. Some with body armor, pretty much everyone with a gun, some with rifles, AR-15s. Law enforcement did not intervene with their protest. Um, they stood in defiance against the, the overreach of the governor. And some of the statements that the governor made, man, um, let me see if I can read a couple to you. So she responded to questions regarding her issuance of that ban on carrying firearms and how it relates to a violation of her oath of office to uphold the U.S. Constitution. So the governor said, quote, No constitutional right, in my view, including my oath, is intended to be absolute. A reporter also asked the governor, Do you really think that criminals are going to hear this message and not carry a gun in Albuquerque on the streets for 30 days? To which the governor answered, Uh, no, but it's a pretty resounding message to everybody else in that community. So she admits it doesn't work. It'll only stop law-abiding citizens from carrying. And she says that the Constitution is not absolute. So there you go. That's New Mexico and Nebraska for you. And another kind of development dealing with the Second Amendment and also the Fourth Amendment. In late August, one of the January Sixers, someone who took part in the protest there, had a, a warrant issued against him, a search warrant. And the FBI raided his house, and inside was that Liberty Safe. This is a firearm safe, and the brand of the firearm safe is Liberty Safe. The FBI then contacted Liberty Safe and showed them that they had an active search warrant, granting them access to search the safe. Liberty Safe then provided the FBI the manufacturer's access code, allowing the FBI to unlock the safe. And there was a big public outcry against this, and, you know, if the FBI is allowed to do this. First of all, yeah, this happens all the time. They are allowed to do this. They showed they had an active warrant in most cases. They already have access to it. They have the the right to search it so safe manufacturers provide them that access code now should they or should they not you know if they do then the person's going to get their safe back 
undamaged if they don't. Law enforcement or the FBI has the right to break into that safe and damage it or whatever. So this is one of those, like, I get it. It's crazy. You know, I don't want a, a safe manufacturer to have access, to be able to provide access to my safe to other people. You know, not for the issue of law enforcement for me, but... For me, I wouldn't want it to be hacked and, you know, that information get out publicly of all these access codes that everybody safes. But um, I figured I would share that with you since the Gray Man Briefing did. And now let's shift into civil unrest. Okay, so if you've listened to our podcast before, you know we quickly go through our civil unrest briefing. We just give you the bluff. So if you're interested in finding out more about what groups took part, how many people were there, when it occurred, what's happening next, when's the next protest, what sort of arrests were made, go to the Gray Man Briefing and sign up. Their news and intel is sent via the Signal messaging app and the Telegram messaging app, and also via a weekly email on Wednesdays, right now it is. And you can find out more. You can see the sources, you can watch videos of these protests. But I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give you the rundown. Let's start with an event in New York City. This one was on August 27th. 600-plus people protested and counter-protested over the illegal immigration housing crisis. Journalists there were disrupted and blocked by Antifa, including those associated with the Stop Cop City riots, that autonomous zone in Atlanta. Over in Washington, D.C. on August 30th, activists gathered outside a federal courthouse where the January 6th rioters affiliated with the Proud Boys were being tried. Uh, this was to show their support for the defendants. Among these supporters were members of Black Lives Matter militia, so... Not BLM, it appears to be an, an offshoot group, and they were there to support Trump and January 6ers supporters. They held a national prayer. A lot of kind of alt-left uh, activists also showed up to support January 6ers and exercise their First Amendment and free speech rights, according to them. In Nevada, on August 27th, climate and socialist Activists protested against climate change by blocking roadways leading to the Burning Man Art and Music Festival. Well, police responded and they rammed with their vehicles that blockage and cleared the path. Looks like there was a traffic jam for like five miles caused by these protesters. Also going on that same time, there were a lot of die-ins. This is where people just lay on the ground and don't move as a form of protest. In these climate change die-ins made by Declare Emergency, they dressed as dinosaurs and blocked DC roadways and New York City subways. In Portland, Oregon on the 29th of August, Antifa, BLM, and Rising PDX organized a direct action online and at the Justice uh, Center there in Multnomah County. And they falsely claimed that police had killed a homeless man who had died of other causes back in July. There was no record of any police involvement with him at all. It was a scam to gain money on GoFundMe. In Orlando, Florida, on September 1st, 85 Nazis of what appeared to be all white males associated with the Blood Tribe conducted a march of the red shirts while wearing and displaying red and black attire with the number 88 and swastikas. The Hail Hitler chanting group of people, they claim that white people are going extinct and that the Biden admin is 80% Jewish. In California on September 1st, 300 business owners protested against a proposed state law, this is SB 553, which adds workplace violence and crime reaction training requirements under the Cal-OSHA Injury Illness Prevention Plan. Basically, the law will stop businesses from encouraging their employees to 
intervene with shoplifting. So business owners are, are against this. They want the employees to stop shoplifting attempts or try to intervene, try to call, or try to lock the door or do something. Over in Florida, the Southern Poverty Law Center, or SPLC, which is a far-left propagandist lobbying organization, along with 200 activists conducted a march to protest against the Florida State academic standards. They're particularly against the curriculum there. So the curriculum itself, it relates to the guidance that teach, quote, positive influences and contributions by African Americans, and more specifically, a line of instruction that teaches, quote, how slaves developed skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. So SPLC is against the curriculum there and the methods in which it implies that, quote, slaves could have benefited from slavery itself. Over in Washington, D.C., on September 11th, far-left activists associated with the Community Mobilization Housing Works and Health GAP trespassed into the Rayburn House office building, this is there at the U.S. Capitol, and occupied the Speaker of the House's office. The group was there calling for the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief. This is PrepFAR. I think it was calling for it to be renewed so that funding could still keep rolling through. And in order to get that prep for funding renewed, they decided they would trespass and occupy the Speaker of the House, McCarthy's office. Uh, well, they were all arrested, and you didn't hear much about this on mainstream media. Um, in New York City, again, Black Lives Matter of Greater New York protested against the officer-involved death of a man who had fled from police and was then struck with an ice cooler that had been thrown by a police officer who was trying to stop the fleeing man. The man later died as an apparent result of that incident. Protesters held signage reading, Prosecute the Cooler Killer. The founder of that BLM Greater New York was arrested during the protest. Also in New York City on September 15th, pro-border security activists disrupted a Democrat-led conference. This was the one with AOC. Protesters chanted, send them back, close the border. Now let's jump over to Long Island, New York. There was, some people say, 300 vehicles. I was able to at least confirm 100 vehicles participated in a pro-Trump caravan that drove along the coastline of Long Island. It, or a separate convoy, then went towards New York City, where they later met up with Proud Boys and protested out on the sidewalks for the street, calling for free the Proud Boys, I guess the ones that had been arrested at January 6th. Anyway, moving on in Michigan on September 15th, the final three suspects that had been arrested for that accused kidnapping of Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer back in 2020, they were just acquitted on all charges. So in total, 14 people were charged, five were acquitted and nine convicted. This is that major case where they say that the FBI and other federal agencies coerced or entrapped these citizens into trying to kidnap the governor, which she was never kidnapped, but uh, the extremists were all arrested. And this was the last of the group, and they were all three acquitted. Uh, back in New York City, on September 15th, 30,000 climate change activists protested throughout the city. This was the beginning of their climate week, and it also coincided with the United Nations meeting there, part of their march to end fossil fuels, where they blocked roadways, police have advised citizens to avoid the area, told citizens not to drive private vehicles or trying to keep the area clear. Protests are expected there all week. 
and there's a lot of intel bulletins going out telling people to, to avoid the area. Like I say, 30,000 people were out, and that was just as of the 15th through the 18th. We mentioned this earlier in our infrastructure briefing. I think in Missouri, Ohio, and Michigan, the strikes are still ongoing, which are semi-equivalent to protest, at least how they're turning out in some places. And Canada's going to be joining them. I think they might have joined today. So be aware of those protests. In Washington, D.C., Pakistani activists who support the PTI party protested at Lafayette Square. This is right there near the White House. They claim to be advocating for the rule of law, free and fair elections, stopping human rights violations, and they're calling for the freeing of a former prime minister there in Pakistan. So in this week's podcast, we didn't cover our economic briefs, the natural disaster weather briefs, law and order briefs. We didn't cover cybersecurity, national security, border security. There's a lot we just did not have time to get into, specifically government oversight. So much on government oversight, like so much. But hopefully I got enough out to kind of keep everyone's situational awareness on point. That's all we can fit in this podcast. If you want to see everything else that's happened over the past couple of weeks, go to graymanbriefing.com. Sign up. It's $5 a month, $50 a year. You can even get a lifetime subscription. And our partner here, they've got a pretty big discount code. Okay, not not a big discount code, but when it's only $5 a month, it's a good discount code. It's a dollar off. We'll pop that over here in the last segment of the podcast. That's it. I'm Wesley from Super SE reading out the great man briefings recent briefings take care be safe bye so before we head out of here let us know what you think of these briefs by emailing us at help at ultimatesurvivaltips.com or you can contact us through our website and the home base for this podcast ultimatesurvivaltips.com If you'd like to be even further ahead of the preparedness curve and get daily briefs from Wes delivered privately to you, Wes is giving Survival Show podcast subscribers $1 off the normal monthly subscription cost of $5. So for only $4 a month, you can get daily intelligence briefings from Wes when you go over to graymanbriefing.com and enter code GBCUST at checkout. All right, that's about it. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.